If ever you've asked a black belt, your jiu-jitsu coach, or even a friend, how do I get better cardio and strength for jiu-jitsu, and the response has been, just roll more, this is terrible advice. Now that you're sufficiently triggered, in this episode, we'll be discussing the limitations of jiu-jitsu, the athletic profile of a jiu-jitsu athlete, non-sport-specific training versus sport-specific training, the key elements to a jiu-jitsu-specific training program, putting together a program for BJJ performance, and a summary at the end, the limitations of jiu-jitsu. For this section of the episode, I'll be making reference to a paper published in the National Strength and Conditioning Association in 2020 titled High Intensity Non-Sport Specific Strength and Conditioning for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Athletes, Theoretical and Practical Considerations. Research shows that BJJ training alone is insufficient to improve strength and cardio above a low to moderate level compared with other athletic sport populations. There's a lot of different reasons in the research why this is hypothesized. But the primary consideration is due to the supine nature of the sport. When compared to judo and wrestling, it shows that jiu-jitsu athletes have quite a low VO2 max, where the sports are all grappling. They're quite similar in nature. However, the key difference is the vast majority of jiu-jitsu occurs on the floor. Now, let's address directly the elephant in the room. Whenever you ask, hey, how do I get fit for jiu-jitsu? How do I improve my cardio? How do I get stronger for jiu-jitsu? A lot of the responses are just train more jiu-jitsu. Just keep showing up. This well-intentioned advice is not quite correct as supported by the research. Obviously, doing more jiu-jitsu will make you better at jiu-jitsu. It is a technique-based sport. It requires solid technique. The more jiu-jitsu that you do, the better your technique will get. Therefore, the better jiu-jitsu you'll become. However, it won't make you fit for jiu-jitsu. It won't improve your VO2 max above a certain threshold, and it won't necessarily make you really strong. Yes, it will make you match strong, but there's a key difference when we're talking about strength for performance. Research done on jiu-jitsu shows that it has a ceiling effect on your VO2 max. This basically means that yes, if you come off the couch and start training jiu-jitsu, it'll make you fitter. If you come in overweight and you start training a sport, yeah, you're gonna lose weight. There's no debating that. No one's arguing against that. What I'm arguing is jiu-jitsu can only make you as fit as that ceiling effect imposed on you by the limitations of jiu-jitsu as a sport. If you want to breach that ceiling, you need to do non-sport specific conditioning work. The argument that people make that technique is more important than strength, so you don't really need to worry about strength for jiu-jitsu, I think is a little bit narrow-minded. Yes, technique is essential to all martial arts, and jiu-jitsu is no exception to that rule. And it's a big reason why jiu-jitsu can be practiced by people of seemingly any age or any fitness level. It's because technique is king. But as the sport is developing, and as you become more competitive and you start to rank up in skill and rank up through the belt system in jiu-jitsu, technique starts to plateau. Technique starts to level out a bit. And the differentiator becomes strength and conditioning. This is particularly relevant when we're talking about competitive jiu-jitsu, where technique is more or less matched and the differentiation between athletes becomes their physical attributes that they train in the gym. Or in other words, there's no advantage to being frail and weak, and there's no downside to being stronger and fitter 
than your opponent. This is not even to mention the protective benefits that strength and conditioning can have on your body to reduce your risk of injuries. But today we're talking purely about performance. The athletic profile of a jiu-jitsu athlete. Jiu-jitsu has been analyzed from a scientific perspective and the characteristics of a typical jiu-jitsu match, a typical jiu-jitsu role have been assessed. What the research has found is that BJJ work to rest ratio in a 10 minute match is approximately an effort to pause ratio ranging from six to one to 13 to one with a low intensity ratio of approximately nine to one, meaning a typical 10 minute match features a total pause time of approximately 31 seconds with low intensity work lasting about eight minutes and 59 seconds and high intensity work lasting about 52 seconds. Therefore, BJJ combat can be described as primarily aerobic in nature. Interestingly though, despite the low volume of work above the anaerobic threshold, there is observed to be a very high level of blood lactate buildup after a jiu-jitsu role or a competitive match. This suggests that there is still a reliance on anaerobic energy systems, despite that on the surface, jiu-jitsu appears to be primarily aerobic in nature. This process of anaerobic energy production or anaerobic glycolysis is accompanied by a lot of different biometric markers and byproducts from the energy process, which leads to neuromuscular fatigue and thus a reduction in performance. And this is observed after just one jiu-jitsu match or one competitive BJJ match. But what causes this dependence on anaerobic systems when the surface level view of jiu-jitsu suggests that it should be aerobic in nature? Well, there is a theory to suggest why. And it's basically because if you imagine jiu-jitsu, it is a very challenging physiological condition your body is in. Jiu-jitsu is a supine exercise and it has fluctuating intensities with unpredictable and resisting opponents. All of these factors are exacerbated with the fact that jiu-jitsu is generally accompanied by prolonged isometric contraction of your muscle. For example, when you take a gi grip, maybe you have a submission, you're trying to hold someone down in side control with a gable grip, you have back control grips, you're hunting for the collar on the gi, all of these things impede local blood flow. And you probably have experienced this effect anecdotally the last time you competed or maybe the last time you had a really intense role in the gym. Think about what happened to your grips. They were probably absolutely shot and you felt like you're, you couldn't even close and open your grips or tie your belt properly. This is an example of that local blood flow restriction due to an intense amount of grip force being generated. Here is an interesting fact about blood lactate buildup in jiu-jitsu. It's been shown in the research that the level of blood lactate buildup is inversely correlated with the jiu-jitsu rank of the person being observed, which basically means that the higher the rank, the less blood lactate buildup. Or in other words, the more technique that you have, the more efficient your movements, therefore the less energy wastage and mus muscular contraction is required to do the work of jiu-jitsu or to perform the same techniques. In a competitive standpoint, even elite grapplers have observed to have an immense high level of blood lactate buildup post-competitive matches, which suggests that despite the fact that technique is king, your technique cannot outwork the requirements of a competitive jiu-jitsu match. And the level of blood lactate buildup after your first jiu-jitsu match at a competition 
can determine the performance of subsequent matches, which makes sense from a physiological standpoint. The more blood lactate buildup you have, the more fatigued you are after your first match, your performance is going to suffer. It's also been shown in the research that the time between matches at a typical jiu-jitsu competition is insufficient to fully recover to your baseline levels, meaning a higher tolerance for lactate buildup or a higher level of conditioning and fitness will go a massive, massive way to improving your subsequent performance across the competition or across the tournament. Now, I already mentioned that research has shown that jiu-jitsu athletes have a moderate to low VO2 max when compared to other athletic populations. Don't be fooled though. This finding does not suggest that your VO2 max is insubsequential or insignificant to your jiu-jitsu performance. On the contrary, what we find is VO2 max is very significant. And even as far as in other sports that are similar to jiu-jitsu, like wrestling and judo, the differentiator in skill or the differentiator in performance between these athletes is oftentimes their VO2 max. Jiu-jitsu is no exception to this. What the research is suggesting that jiu-jitsu training alone is insufficient to improve your VO2 max above a certain threshold, above a ceiling effect. I've already discussed why, but as a reminder, it's generally considered because of the supine nature of the sport, meaning that you just don't get enough work volume in to increase your VO2 max. Despite the fact that your heart rate skyrockets during jiu-jitsu, despite the fact that you're feeling really fatigued, that your anaerobic processes are going sky high and you are building up all this blood lactate, it is still insufficient to improve your VO2 max above a moderate to low ceiling effect. Jiu-jitsu is not unique in this finding. They've found the exact same limitations on the sport itself in other sports, namely soccer or football. They've done a lot of research on football athletes and they've found that the game of football into itself or the just playing football is insufficient to improve the VO2 max of these athletes above the ceiling effect. But your VO2 max is a key indicator of your level of performance in that sport. So it is kind of ironic, the fact that you need a high level of VO2 max to perform at a high level for the sport, but performing the sport in unto itself is insufficient stimulus to improve your VO2 max. Therefore, you need to do some form of external training. I know this doesn't make sense to a lot of people because you think, okay, I want to get better at this sport. I want to get fitter for this sport. So all I need to do is do the sport, but it just doesn't work that way. It's been shown in research, not just in jujitsu, but also in soccer and other sports as well. And if you're still not convinced, think about the fact that sports, regardless of what sport it is, have limitations on the physiological development that it can provide an athlete. There's always gaps in where the sport will make you better, fitter, stronger, faster, more powerful, or have a better VO2 max. It's in these gaps that a strength and conditioning program designed to have the most transferability to your sport comes into play. And that's why strength and conditioning specifically for your sport is so important. Non-sport specific training versus sport-specific training. In the sports science literature, the terms non-sport-specific training and sport-specific training don't mean what you probably think they mean. When they refer to sport-specific training, they're actually referring to doing the sport into itself for training. So an example of that would be 
doing a one minute intense roll with a training partner of jujitsu sparring in, in terms of rounds. That would be not just rolling, but maybe you're simulating a scenario. So you're doing a guard pool drill or you're doing a blitz drill or you're doing king of the mat. Something like that would be considered sport-specific training. Whereas non-sport specific training is doing something other than your actual sport to develop your fitness for the sport. An example of this could be doing heel sprints to improve your VO2 max, to improve your cardio performance for jiu-jitsu. That is an example of non-sport specific training. Now, when a lot of people talk about sport specific training, they may refer to something like heel sprints as a sport specific training drill because it has transferability to the sport. And I've been guilty of this in the past because it's most easy for everyone to understand what we're talking about. We're talking about doing specific training protocols to benefit your sport. But I just need to draw the differentiator here because if you read any sports science research, you're going to read non-sport specific training when really sometimes they're talking about training that has a transferability to your sport, but is not specifically training that sport. I hope that makes sense the key elements to a jiu-jitsu specific training program. The most significant performance metrics for a jiu-jitsu athlete are strength, power, VO2 max, and aerobic conditioning. It has been shown in the research that just four weeks of a training protocol alongside regular BJJ training is sufficient to improve athletes' maximal strength, power, and local muscular endurance. These findings show that considerable improvements in strength and performance can be achieved whilst accompanying a regular BJJ training schedule or regular BJJ training protocol. The key that they found in the research is that when you're programming training to accompany jiu-jitsu or to have the most transferability to jiu-jitsu, the key is intensity. It is a low amount of volume, but a high amount of intensity, meaning you don't need to be in the gym six days a week. Two to four maximum is absolutely sufficient to improve your jiu-jitsu performance, reduce your risk of injury, have those strength adaptations, those power adaptations, and improve your VO2 max, all while keeping your total volume in a recoverable threshold while still training jiu-jitsu. It's obvious that as a jiu-jitsu athlete, the time on the mat is the most important. It's the reason you're listening to this. It's the reason that we do what we do. It's the reason you train jujitsu is to get more mat time, is to actually do the sport that you love. Therefore, it needs to be said, jujitsu should always be the priority. Your strength and conditioning sessions should be somewhere in the neighborhood of two minimum to four maximum sessions per week accompanying your regular jiu-jitsu schedule. A good protocol would be something like two dedicated strength and conditioning sessions with maybe one VO2 max session. Or if you don't have the time and your schedule doesn't allow it, you can just do two dedicated sessions, start with strength and power, and then do your conditioning work in the form of high intensity interval training or the VO2 max training that I'm going to discuss later in the episode at the end. BJJ is characterized by a complex fluctuating effort patterns that taxes all energy pathways. Your training should account for that. High intensity training has been shown to develop anaerobic conditioning, but it's also well established as a mediator of aerobic training adaptations, which basically means that anaerobic training, like high intensity work, interval training, dedicated VO2 max training can also improve your aerobic base. Your training program structure 
the nitty gritty details will depend on you as an athlete. It will depend on how much time you have as a hobbyist. It will depend on your fitness level, your goals, your areas of strength and your areas of weakness. But there are some general overarching guidelines or principles. The most significant performance metrics for a jiu-jitsu athlete are strength, power, VO2 max, and aerobic conditioning. This is what you need to prioritize in your training program. We're going to discuss each of these key areas in turn. I'm going to give you some practical takeaways on how to implement it into your training program. Strength. Strength is incredibly important for jiu-jitsu athletes. It's why this podcast is called the BJJ Strong Podcast. It's why episode one was all about how to improve your strength for BJJ. In case you haven't listened to that episode, here is a refresher. Aim for two sessions per week. Do full body workouts or upper lower splits. Focus on compound movement patterns such as deadlifts, squats, and press variations. Your rep range should be around three to six reps. Focus on an RPE or a rate of perceived exertion around eight to 10. Don't neglect isometric strength, which can be added in the form of static holds, maximal overcoming efforts. An example of that would be something like a pin bench press. Power. Power describes your ability to exert a maximal amount of force with as little time or with as high of a velocity as possible. The force output is not reliant on the size of the muscle, but rather on intramuscular coordination. Why is power so important for jiu-jitsu? A vast majority of jiu-jitsu movements benefit from power. Think about explosively passing guard or retaining your guard or escaping a bad position or shooting for a takedown. All of these movements require power. Power is also a core element to athletic performance as it's the ability to apply your strength with velocity. To train for power, you want to be lifting explosively or lifting powerfully. Take a compound movement like deadlifts, for example, and focus on the velocity of the lift or the speed at which you can move the weight. Plyometric exercises are also excellent ways to train for power. Examples of plyometrics are box jumps, squat jumps, weighted squat jumps, jumping lunges, explosive or clapping push-ups, and even burpees are considered plyometrics. VO2 max. Cardiovascular fitness is defined as the maximum amount of oxygen you can utilize defined by your VO2 max. This is simply your maximum rate of oxygen that your body can consume while training. And it's highly correlated with your overall fitness level, your health, and your longevity. One of the most efficient ways to target your anaerobic system is to do some form of high-intensity interval training. This training protocol is known as HIT. You've probably heard of HIT before, but not all HIT sessions are created equally, and not all of them are going to be the most beneficial and have the most transferability to your jiu-jitsu. But realistically, anything that improves your VO2 max is going to help. I'm going to recommend three distinct methods of improving your VO2 max with the most transferability to jiu-jitsu. The first is my favorite, it's what I recommend, the four by four by four method. The way it works is perform four four minute rounds. You can implement this with any cardio exercise that you prefer at a 85 to 90% maximum effort, not to be confused with maximum heart rate. Have four minutes of rest in between each round. Therefore, it's called the four by four by four. You're performing four, four minute rounds, four minutes of rest in between each round. You can modify this protocol to fit your fitness level, or you can modify this protocol to more closely fit 
your jiu-jitsu competitions. For example, say you are at Blue Belt and you compete at six minutes. You can do something like three six-minute rounds instead, still at that 85 to 90% maximum effort as much as you can sustain. So basically, it's as high of an effort as you can sustain for the entire duration of your interval. It's quite difficult, but it is incredibly effective at improving your VO2 max, thus improving your jiu-jitsu performance. Method two, Tabata sets. You've probably heard Tabata, but it is simply a form of HIIT training. The way it works is it's 20 seconds of maximum effort followed by 10 seconds of rest. You perform this for eight rounds. So the total time of a Tabata is four minutes. If you perform two Tabata sets back to back, you have a total time of doing your interval training of eight minutes in duration. I recommend doing one Tabata set, having one to two minutes of rest, followed by the other Tabata set. Now, you can do any exercise that you would like here so long as it can be performed explosively and to the 100% of your maximal effort. Again, you can do cardio intervals like hill sprints, sprints on the treadmill, you can do ski erg, assault bike, or you can even supplement these out with exercises like kettlebell swings, box jumps, other plyometric exercises will also do just fine. Method three, circuit training. Sports-specific circuit training has been shown in the research to be a highly effective and transferable way to train your VO2 max, and jiu-jitsu is no exception to this. What a jiu-jitsu-specific circuit would look like is picking a bunch of different exercises and doing a circuit of those exercises at maximal intensity, ensuring that we're focusing on VO2 max. Here is an example of a workout called Lucky Sevens. Choose seven movement patterns commonly seen in jiu-jitsu, perform seven reps of each as a circuit seven times through. Therefore, Lucky Sevens or seven by seven by seven. Super easy to remember. You can obviously modify this. You can go 10 exercises of 10 reps. You can do five exercises of 10 reps. It doesn't really matter. This is the basic structure of a circuit. Zone two training and aerobic base. Research has shown that yes, high intensity training will improve your VO2 max and it does have a flow on effect of improving your aerobic base. But the best protocol to specifically target your aerobic base is zone two training. If you're not sure what I mean by aerobic base, Think of high-intensity interval training as improving the ceiling of your cardio output, meaning you can go harder for longer, whereas your aerobic base is the floor, which means that it basically raises the floor of what is considered your low intensity. Instead of it being, you know, being able to run five-minute kilometers as low intensity and still stay under your anaerobic threshold, if you improve your aerobic base, maybe you can run four-minute kilometers at still the same level of effort or still under your anaerobic threshold. So that is your aerobic base. Zone two training is staying in the zone two level of intensity or your zone two heart rate. There are different training zones represented by your maximal heart rate. Obviously training in these different zones requires you to know what your maximal heart rate is. You can estimate it, but everyone's maximal heart rate is different. And it will depend on your fitness level, your age, and a whole bunch of other different factors. So if you can calculate your max heart rate, go for it. But there are other ways to ensure you're in zone two if you don't have a heart rate monitor, which I will talk about. Zone one is 50 to 60% your heart rate. Zone two, 60 to 70%. Zone three, 70 to 80. Zone four is 80 to 90. And five is 90 to 100. But why is zone two so special? Why do we care about the zone two? It's because it is just high enough so that you're working 
but it is low enough so it is below your anaerobic threshold, meaning that you're not dipping into your glycolytic energy systems. You're staying aerobic, which is important. So we're focusing on staying under your anaerobic threshold, but we're still getting all the work in. Now, zone two training requires you to stay in zone two for a very long period of time. So these are what we call low and slow training bouts, meaning that you're going to be doing a zone two workout for a minimum of 30 minutes, again, depending on your fitness level. But realistically, we're looking at around a 60, 45 to 60 minute work at that zone two. These take a long time, but when compared to anaerobic, they are fast, short, high intensity, they hurt a lot, and they also improve your aerobic base. So it's up to you whether you want to include zone two training, but make sure that you're including anaerobic work in your training protocol to have the most transferability across two jujitsu. To stay in zone two, there are two distinct methods I recommend. The first is having a heart rate monitor like a Garmin or a heart rate strap and monitoring your heart rate and ensuring that it does not go over your 70% max heart rate. You stay in zone two. The other method is the talking test. The analogy that I use here is you should be able to talk on the phone with a friend, but they should be able to tell that you're exercising. Now, a lot of people have to stop and walk to stay in their zone two. Say you're doing jogging for zone two training. Oftentimes when I do zone two training, I have to stop and walk and slow down until my heart rate reduces back down to zone two and then I start jogging again. So it's a lot of stop start. It's not really super fun. For some people, simply walking or maybe doing some sort of rucking or pack marching will be enough to stay in zone two. If you want to learn more about specifically how to address zone two training and VO2 max training for jiu-jitsu performance, I have a, another video on that exact topic that I'll put a link to in the description of this episode. Putting together a program for BJJ performance. The first thing you need to do is be realistic about how much time you're willing to dedicate. Most people that are training jiu-jitsu are not interested in being world champions. They're not training for worlds. They're not trying to win ADCC. They're not trying to be the next Gordon Ryan. So the vast majority of people are just interested in the protective benefits that strength and conditioning has and the performance benefits that we've discussed throughout this episode. If you fall into that camp, then you need to be realistic about how much time you're willing to dedicate to strength and conditioning outside of jiu-jitsu. Let me give you an example. If you are currently training jiu-jitsu once per week, I do not recommend that you dedicate two training days for strength and conditioning to support your jiu-jitsu. I recommend you train more jiu-jitsu. If, however, you're training jiu-jitsu three times per week, maybe even four times per week, and you're willing to include some dedicated strength and conditioning for all the performance benefits, for all the protective benefits, then I recommend adding two strength and conditioning sessions per week to bring your total up to six. That is definitely achievable for most people, provided that you're recovering between sessions. To learn more about recovery, check out the last episode, which is titled How to Recover for BJJ, the Ultimate Jiu-Jitsu Recovery Guide. Highly recommend checking that resource out. I'll put a link to that in the description. Okay, so now that we've decided how many sessions per week we can dedicate between two and four is what I recommend, then you need to consider what your areas of weakness are. Are your areas of weakness strength? Do you lack power? Is conditioning really hurting you? Once you've determined that, you can determine where you need to focus on. But here are some general guidelines. I recommend that you follow a two-day-per-week full-body strength and power program, and you can include additional VO2 max cardio at the end of those sessions or ideally as a dedicated workout to bring your total up to three sessions per week. 
This is how to do it. Do two strength and power sessions. Make sure they're full body workouts. They can be in the form of upper body strength followed by lower body power. And then day two is lower body strength followed by upper body power. Include the four by four by four VO2 max efforts at the end of one session and do a circuit or a Tabata set at the end of the other if you're combining your conditioning and your strength in the same day. To avoid the impacts of the negative interference effect, you can separate your cardio and strength training by at least 12 hours. But this is not practical for most people. Avoid doing these workout sessions on the same day that you train BJJ if possible. If not, ensure that you're doing these workouts before jujitsu, ideally with enough time to refuel, rehydrate, and recover between your sessions. If you want a done-for-you strength, power, and conditioning program specifically designed to have the maximal transferability to jujitsu, then check out BJJ Beast Mode only available on BJJ Strong Online. Link to that in the description. Summary, research shows that solely increasing your BJJ volume does not effectively boost physical fitness. And this is due to the limitations of the sport. Supplementing with BJJ strength and conditioning training can notably improve performance. While training jiu-jitsu enhances your jiu-jitsu technique and your efficiency, it won't significantly increase your strength and your cardiovascular fitness as measured by your VO2 max beyond a certain ceiling effect. Scientific analysis of jiu-jitsu matches has shown that the standard 10-minute jiu-jitsu match consists mostly of low-intensity work, approximately 9 minutes, with about 52 seconds of high-intensity effort. Although on the surface BJJ is primarily aerobic, there is notable increases in blood lactate concentration post-jiu-jitsu bouts, indicating the reliance on anaerobic processes. This reliance on anaerobic processes is attributed to the sport's dynamic intensity and prolonged isometric muscle contractions. BJJ alone doesn't adequately improve an athlete's VO2 max. However, a higher VO2 max often achieved through external conditioning is directly related to better performance in similar combat sports and jiu-jitsu is no exception to this rule. Strength and power are essential for BJJ practitioners as it will aid your ability to perform your techniques, it will help to prevent injuries, and it offers an edge in competitions. To enhance your power and strength, do two full body workouts per week, focusing on compound movements and add in plyometrics to improve your power. The anaerobic energy system is crucial for BJJ performance. To improve your anaerobic system, perform high intensity interval training in the form of 4x4x4, Tabata sets, or circuit training. Supplementary training should never overshadow your primary jiu-jitsu practice. Identify your areas of weakness and focus on them. Separate strength and cardio sessions by at least 12 hours if possible. If not, always perform your strength first, your cardio second. If your sessions overlap on the same day with your BJJ training, make sure you're doing strength work before jiu-jitsu work. And finally, for comprehensive strength and conditioning programs like BJJ Beast Mode, check out BJJ Strong Online, the ultimate performance resource for grapplers. While the advice to just roll more or just train more is actually decent advice for people that aren't training enough jiu-jitsu, it falls short when we're looking at what the advice is intended for. If you're asking someone, how do I get better cardio for jiu-jitsu? How do I improve my strength? 
How do I improve my power for jiu-jitsu? And you're already training four or five times per week, then you probably should be looking toward external, non-sport specific training to support your jiu-jitsu performance. Hopefully, the arguments and the resources that I presented in this episode have convinced you of that fact. All the resources, references, and protocols that I mentioned are linked in the description of this episode if you want to learn more. To support the show, feel free to subscribe or follow on your platform of choice. Thanks for watching.